too, at the lower part and in front of the cranium, and serve for the attachment of powerful muscles which assist in the process of mastication. Although the soft parts of the face cover the bony structure, yet they do not conceal its principal features, or materially change its proportions. The form of the head and face presents some remarkable dissimilarities in different races. Illustration, Figure 11. The first bone of the sternum breastbone. The second bone of the sternum. The cartilage of the sternum. The first dorsal vertebra bone of the spinal column. The last dorsal vertebra. The first rib. Its head. Its neck. Its tubercle. 10. The seventh or last true rib. 11. The cartilage of the third rib. 12. The floating ribs. Illustration. Figure 12. A vertebra of the neck. The body of the vertebra. The spinal canal. The spinous process cleft at its extremity. The transverse process. The interior articular process. The superior articular process. The trunk has 54 bones, which are as follows. The OS hyoids. The sternum. 24 ribs. 24 vertebrae or bones of the spinal column. The sacrum. The coccyx. And to us in ominata. The OS hyoids. Situated at the base of the tongue, is the most isolated bone of the skeleton, and serves for the attachment of muscles. The sternum, or breastbone, in a child is composed of six pieces, in the adult of three, which in old age are consolidated into one bone. The ribs are thin, curved bones, being convex externally. There are twelve on each side, and all are attached to the spinal column. The seven upper ribs, which are united in front of the sternum, are termed true ribs. The next three, which are not attached to the sternum, but to one another are called false ribs, and the last two, which are joined only to the vertebrae, are designated as floating ribs, the first rib is the shortest, and they increase in length as far as the eighth, after which this order is reversed, illustration, figure 13, the cartilaginous substance which connects the bodies of the vertebrae, the body of the vertebra, the spinous process, 4.4, the transverse processes, 5.5, 5.5, the articular processes, 6.6, a portion of the bony bridge which assists in forming the spinal canal 7, illustration, figure 14, backbone, spinal column, or vertebral column, all animals possessing such a row of bones are called vertebrates, above are the cervical neck vertebrae, 2, dorsal back or chest vertebrae, 2, lumbar loins vertebrae, 2, sacrum, 2, coccyx, the spinal column or backbone, when viewed from the front presents a perpendicular appearance, but a side view shows four distinct curves, the bones composing it are called vertebrae, the body part of a vertebrae is light and spongy in texture, having seven projections called processes, four of which are the articular processes, which furnish surfaces to join the different vertebrae of the spinal column, two are called transverse, and the remaining one is termed the spinous. The transverse and spinous processes serve for the attachment of the muscles belonging to the back. All these processes are more compact than the body of the vertebra, and, when naturally connected, are so arranged as to form a tube which contains the medulla spinalis, or spinal cord. Between the vertebrae is a highly elastic, cartilaginous and cushion-like substance, which freely admits of motion, and allows the spine to bend as occasion requires. The natural curvatures of the spinal column diminish the shock produced by falling, running or leaping, which would otherwise be more directly transmitted to the brain. The ribs at the sides, the sternum in front, and the twelve dorsal bones of the spinal column behind, bound the thoracic cavity, which contains the lungs, heart, and large blood vessels. Illustration, Figure 15. 
a representation of the pelvic bones, the lumbosacral joint, 2, the sacrum, coccyx, 1.1, the inominata, 4.4, acetabula, the pelvis is an open bony structure, consisting of the os inominata, one on either side, and the sacrum and coccyx behind, the sacrum, during childhood, consists of five bones, which in later years unite to form one bone, it is light and spongy in texture, and the upper surface articulates with the lowest vertebra, while it is united at its inferior margin to the coccyx, the coccyx is the terminal bone of the spinal column, in infancy it is cartilaginous and composed of several pieces, but in the adult these unite and form one bone, the inominata, or nameless bones, during youth, consist of three separate pieces on each side, but as age advances they coalesce and form one bone, a deep socket, called the acetabulum, is found near their junction, which serves for the reception of the head of the thigh bone, illustration, figure 16, 1, portions of the backbone, 2, cranial bones, breastbone, ribs, collarbone, arm bone humerus, shoulder joint, 10, 11, bones of the forearm ulna and radius, 12, elbow joint, 13, wrist joint, 14, bones of the hand, 15, 16, pelvic bones, 17, hip joint, 18, femur, 19, 20, bones of the knee joint, 21, 22, fibula and tibia, 23, ankle bone, 24, bones of the foot, the bones of the upper extremities are 64 in number, and are classified as follows, the scapula, clavicle, humerus, ulna, radius, carpus, metacarpus, and phalanges, the scapula, or shoulder blade, is an irregular, thin, triangular bone, situated at the posterior part of the shoulder, and attached to the upper and back part of the chest, the clavicle, or collarbone, is located at the upper part of the chest, between the sternum and scapula, and connects with both, its form resembles that of the italic letter, and it prevents the arms from sliding forward, the humerus, the first bone of the arm, is long, cylindrical, and situated between the scapula and forearm, the ulna is nearly parallel with the radius, and situated on the inner side of the forearm, it is the longer and larger of the two bones, and in its articulation with the humerus, forms a perfect hinge joint, the radius, so called from its resemblance to a spoke, is on the outer side of the forearm, and articulates with the bones of the wrist, forming a joint, the ulna and radius also articulate with each other at their extremities, the carpus, or wrist, consists of eight bones, arranged into rows, the metacarpus, or palm of the hand, is composed of five bones situated between the carpus and fingers, the phalanges, fourteen in number, are the bones of the fingers and thumb, the fingers each having three and the thumb two, the bones of the lower extremities, sixty in number, are classed as follows, the femur, patella, tibia, fibula, tarsus, metatarsus, and phalanges, the femur, or thigh bone, is the longest bone in the body, it has a large round head, which is received into the acetabulum, thus affording a good illustration of a ball and socket joint, the patella, or knee pan, is the most complicated articulation of the body, it is of a round form, connects with the tibia by means of a strong ligament, and serves to protect the front of the joint, and to increase the leverage of the muscles attached to it, by causing them to act at a greater angle, the tibia, or shin bone, is enlarged at each extremity and articulates with the femur above and the astragalus, the upper bone of the tarsus, below, 
The fibula, the small bone of the leg, is situated on the outer side of the tibia, and is firmly bound to it at each extremity. The tarsus, or instep, is composed of seven bones, and corresponds to the carpus of the upper extremities. The metatarsus, the middle of the foot, bears a dose resemblance to the metacarpus, and consists of five bones situated between the tarsus and the phalanges. The tarsal and the metatarsal bones are so united as to give an arched appearance to the foot, thus imparting elasticity. The phalanges, the toes, consist of 14 bones, arranged in a manner similar to that of the fingers. We are not less interested in tracing the formation of bone through its several stages, than in considering other parts of the human system. The formation of the Haversian canals for the passage of blood vessels to nourish the bones. The earlier construction of bony tissue by a metamorphosis of cartilaginous substance, and also the commencement of ossification at distinct points, called centers of ossification, are all important subjects, requiring the student's careful attention. The bones are protected by an external membranous envelope, which, from its situation is called the periosteum. The bones are divided into four classes, long, short, flat and irregular, being thus adapted to subserve a variety of purposes. The long bones are found in the limbs, where they act as levers to sustain the body and aid in locomotion. Each long bone is composed of a cylinder, known as the shaft, and two extremities. The shaft is hollow, its whales being thickest in the middle and growing thinner toward the extremities. The extremities are usually considerably enlarged, for convenience of connection with other bones, and to afford a broad surface for the attachment of muscles. The clavicle, humerus, radius, ulna, femur tibia, fibula, the bones of the metacarpus, metatarsus and the phalanges, are classed as long bones, where the principal object to be attained is strength, and the motion of the skeleton is limited, the individual bones are short and compressed, as the bones of the carpus and tarsus, the structure of these bones is spongy, except at the surface, where there is a thin crust of compact matter, illustration, figure 17, anatomy of a joint, 1, 1, bones of a joint, 2, 2, cartilage, 3, 3, 3, 3, synovial membrane, illustration, figure 18, anatomy of knee joint, 1, lower end of thigh bone, 3, knee pan, 2, 4 ligaments of the knee pan, upper end of the tibia, or shin bone, 6, 12, cartilages, when protection is required for the organs of the body, or a broad flat surface for the attachment of the muscles. The bones are expanded into plates, as in the cranium and shoulder blades. The irregular or mixed bones are those which, from their peculiar shape, cannot be classed among any of the foregoing divisions. Their structure is similar to the others, consisting of cancellar tissue, surrounded by a crust of compact matter, the vertebrae, sacrum, coccyx, temporal, sphenoid, ethmoid, malar, to maxillary, palate, inferior turbinate and hyoid are known as irregular bones. The formation of the joints requires not only bones, but also cartilages, ligaments, and the synovial membrane. To complete the articulation, cartilage is a smooth, elastic substance, softer than bone, and invested with a thin membrane, called perichondrium. When cartilage is placed upon convex surfaces, the reverse is true. The ligaments are white, inelastic, tendinous substances, softer than cartilage but harder than membrane. Their function is to bind together the bones. The synovial membrane covers the cartilages, and is then reflected upon the ligaments, thus forming a thin, closed sac, called the synovial capsule. 
all the synovial membranes secrete a lubricating fluid, termed synovia, which enables the surfaces of the bones and ligaments to move freely upon one another. When this fluid is secreted in excessive quantities, it produces a disease known as dropsy of the joints. There are numerous smaller sacs besides the synovial, called bursi mucosi, which in structure are analogous to them, and secrete a similar fluid. Some joints permit motion in every direction, as the shoulders, some in two directions only, as the elbows, while others do not admit of any movement. The bones, ligaments, cartilages, and synovial membrane, are supplied with nerves, arteries, and veins. When an animal is provided with an internal bony structure, it indicates a high rank in the scale of organization. An elaborate texture of bone is found in no class below the vertebrates, even in the lower order of the subkingdom which is the highest of animals, bone does not exist, as is the case in some tribes of fishes, such as sharks, etc. and in all classes below that of the cartilaginous fishes, the inflexible substance which sustains the soft parts is either shell or some modification of bone, and is usually found on the outside of the body, true bone, on the contrary, is found in the interior, and, therefore, in higher animals, the skeleton is always internal while the soft parts are placed external to the bony frame, while many animals of the lowest species, being composed of soft gelatinous matter, are buoyant in water. The highest type of animals requires not only a bony skeleton, but also a flexible, muscular system, for locomotion in the water or upon the land. Each species of the animal kingdom is thus organically adapted to its condition and sphere of life. Chapter III. Physiological Anatomy. The Muscles. The muscles are those organs of the body by which motion is produced, and are commonly known as flesh. A muscle is composed of fasciae, or bundles of fibers, parallel to one another. They are soft, varying in size, of a reddish color, and enclosed in a cellular, membranous sheath. Each fascicle contains a number of small fibers, which, when subjected to a microscopic examination, are found to consist of fibrillae, or little fibers each of these fibrilli in turn being invested with a delicate sheath. The fibers terminate in a glistening, white tendon, or hard cord, which is attached to the bone. So firmly are they united, that the bone will break before the tendon can be released. When the tendon is spread out, so as to resemble a membrane, it is called fascia, being of various extent and thickness. It is distributed over the body, as a covering and protection for the more delicate parts, and aids also in motion by firmly uniting the muscular fibers, the spaces between the muscles are frequently filled with fat, which gives roundness and beauty to the limbs, the muscles are of various forms, some are longitudinal, each extremity terminating in a tendon, which gives them a fusiform or spindle-shaped appearance, others are either fan-shaped, flat, or cylindrical, illustration, figure 20, 1, a spindle-shaped muscle, with tendinous terminations, 2, fan-shaped muscle, 3. Caniform muscle. 4. Bipaniform muscle. Illustration, figure 21. Striped muscular fiber showing cleavage in opposite directions. 1. Longitudinal cleavage. 2. Transverse cleavage. 3. Transverse section of disc. 4. Disc nearly detached. 5. Detached disc. Showing the sarcos elements. 6. Fibrilli. 7.8. Separated fibrilli highly magnified. Every muscle has an origin and an insertion. The term origin is applied to the more fixed or central attachment of a muscle, and the term insertion to the movable point to which the force of the muscle is directed, but the origin is not absolutely fixed, 
except in a small number of muscles, as those of the face, which are attached at one extremity to the bone, and at the other to the movable integument, or skin. In most instances, the muscles may act from either extremity. The muscles are divided into the voluntary, or muscles of animal life, and the involuntary, or muscles of organic life. There are, however, some muscles which cannot properly be classified with either, termed intermediate. The voluntary muscles are chiefly controlled by the will, relaxing and contracting at its pleasure, as in the motion of the eyes, mouth, and limbs. The fibers are of a dark red color, and possess great strength. These fibers are parallel, seldom interlacing, but presenting a striped or striated appearance, and a microscopic examination of them shows that even the most minute consist of parallel filaments marked by longitudinal and transverse striae, or minute channels. The fibers are nearly the same length as the muscles to which they belong. Each muscular fiber is capable of contraction, it may act singly, though usually it acts in unison with others. By a close inspection, it has been found that fibers may be drawn apart longitudinally, in which case they are termed fibrilli, or they may be separated transversely, forming a series of discs. The sarcolemma, or investing sheath of the muscles, appears to be formed even before there are any visible traces of the muscle itself. It is a transparent and delicate membrane, but very elastic. The involuntary muscles are influenced by the sympathetic nervous system, and their action pertains to the nutritive functions of the body. They differ from the voluntary muscles in not being striated, having no tendons, and in the network arrangements of their fibers. The intermediate muscles are composed of striated and instriated fibers. They are, therefore, both voluntary and involuntary in their functions. The muscles employed in respiration are of this class, for we can breathe rapidly or slowly, and, for a short time, even suspend their action, but soon, however, the organic muscles assert their instinctive control, and respiration is resumed. Illustration, figure 22, and striated muscular fiber, that, in its natural state, that, showing the nuclei after the action of acetic acid, the diaphragm, or midriff, is the muscular division between the thorax and the abdomen. It has been compared to an inverted basin, the concavity of which is directed toward the abdomen. The muscles receive their nourishment from the numerous blood vessels which penetrate their tissues. The voluntary muscles are abundantly supplied with nerves, while the involuntary are not so numerously furnished. The color of the muscles is chiefly due to the blood which they contain. They vary in size according to their respective functions. For example, the functions of the heart require large and powerful muscles, and those of the eye, small and delicate ones. There are between 460 and 500 muscles in the human body. Very rarely is motion produced by the action of a single muscle, but by the harmonious action of several. There is infinite variety in the arrangement of the muscles, each being adapted to its purpose, in strength, tenacity, or elasticity, while some involuntarily respond to the wants of organic life. Others obey, with mechanical precision, the edicts of the will. The peculiar characteristic of the muscles is their contractility, for example, when the tip of the finger is placed in the ear, an incessant vibration, due to the contraction of the muscles of the ear, can be heard, when the muscles contract, they become shorter, but what is lost in length is gained in breadth and thickness, so that their actual volume remains the same, muscles alternately contract and relax and thus act upon the bones. The economy of muscular power thus displayed is truly remarkable. In easy and graceful walking, 
The forward motion of the limbs is not altogether due to the exercise of muscular power, but partly to the force of gravity, and only a slight assistance of the muscles is required to elevate the leg sufficiently to allow it to oscillate. Motion is a characteristic of living bodies. This is true, not only in animals, but also in plants. The oyster, although not possessing the power of locomotion, opens and closes its shell at pleasure. The coral insect appears at the door of its cell, and retreats at will. All the varied motions of animals are due to a peculiar property of the muscles, term contractility. Although plants are influenced by external agents, as light, heat, electricity, etc. Yet it is supposed that they may move in response to inward impulses. The sensitive stamens of the barberry, when touched at their base on the inner side, resent the intrusion. By making a sudden jerk forward, Venus's flytrap, a plant found in North Carolina, is remarkable for the sensitiveness of its leaves, which close suddenly and capture insects which chance to alight upon them. The muscles of the articulates are situated within the solid framework, and like the vertebrates, whose muscles are external to the bony skeleton, all animals have the power of motion, from the lowest radiate to the highest vertebrate, from the most repulsive polyp to that type of organized life made in the very image of God. The muscles, then, subserve an endless variety of purposes. By their aid the farmer employs his implements of husbandry, the mechanic deftly wields his tools, the artist plies his brush, while the fervent orator gives utterance to thoughts glowing with heavenly emotions. It is by their agency that the sublimest spiritual conceptions can be brought to the sphere of the senses, and the noblest, loftiest aims of today can be made glorious realizations of the future. Chapter IV. Physiological Anatomy. The Digestive Organs. Digestion signifies the act of separating or distributing, hence its application to the process by which food is made available for nutritive purposes. The organs of digestion are the mouth, teeth, tongue, salivary glands, pharynx, esophagus, the stomach and the intestines, with their glands, the liver, pancreas, lacteals, and the thoracic duct. Illustration, Figure 26. A view of the lower jaw, the body, 2, 2. Rami, or branches, three, three, processes of the lower jaw, molar teeth, bicuspids, cuspids, incisors, the mouth is an irregular cavity, situated between the upper and the lower jaw, and contains the organs of mastication, it is bounded by the lips in front, by the cheeks at the sides, by the roof of the mouth and teeth of the upper jaw above, and behind and beneath by the teeth of the lower jaw, soft parts, and palate. The soft palate is a sort of pendulum attached only at one of its extremities, while the other involuntarily opens and closes the passage from the mouth to the pharynx. The interior of the mouth, as well as other portions of the alimentary canal, is lined with a delicate tissue, called mucous membrane. The teeth are firmly inserted in the alveoli or sockets, of the upper and the lower jaw. The first set, twenty in number, are temporary, and appear during infancy. They are replaced by permanent teeth of which there are 16 in each jaw, for incisors, or front teeth, for cuspids, or eye teeth, for bicuspids, or grinders, and for molars, or large grinders, each tooth is divided into the crown, body, and root, the crown is the grinding surface, the body, the part projecting from the jaw, is the seat of sensation and nutrition, the root is that portion of the tooth which is inserted in the alveolus, the teeth are composed of dentine, or ivory, and enamel, the ivory forms the greater portion of the body and root, while the enamel covers the exposed surface. 
The small white cords communicating with the teeth are the nerves. The tongue is a flat oval organ, the base of which is attached to the OS hyoids, while the apex, the most sensitive part of the body, is free. Its surface is covered with a membrane, which, at the sides and lower part, is continuous with the lining of the mouth. On the lower surface of the tongue, this membrane is thin and smooth, but on the upper side it is covered with numerous papillae, which, in structure, are similar to the sensitive papillae of the skin. Illustration, Figure 27. The salivary glands, the largest one, near the ear, is the parotid gland, the next below it is the submaxillary gland, the one under the tongue is the sublingual gland, the salivary glands are six in number, three on each side of the mouth, their function is to secrete a fluid called saliva, which aids in mastication, the largest of these glands, the parotid, is situated in front and below the ear, its structure, like that of all the salivary glands, is cellular. The submaxillary gland is circular in form, and situated midway between the angle of the lower jaw and the middle of the chin. The sublingual is a long flattened gland, and, as its name indicates, is located below the tongue, which when elevated, discloses the saliva issuing from its porous openings. The pharynx is nearly four inches in length, formed of muscular and membranous cells, and situated between the base of the cranium and the esophagus, in front of the spinal column. It is narrow at the upper part, distended in the middle, contracting again at its junction with the esophagus. The pharynx communicates with the nose, mouth, larynx, and esophagus. The esophagus, a cylindrical organ, is a continuation of the pharynx, and extends through the diaphragm to the stomach. It has three coats. First, the muscular, consisting of an exterior layer of fibers running longitudinally, and an interior layer of transverse fibers. Second, the cellular which is interposed between the muscular and the mucous coat, third, the mucous membrane, or internal coat, which is continuous with the mucous lining of the pharynx, illustration, figure 28, a representation of the interior of the stomach, the esophagus, cardiac orifice opening into the stomach, the middle or muscular coat, the interior or mucous coat, 10, the beginning of the duodenum, 11, the pyloric orifice, the stomach is a musculomembranous, conoidal sac, communicating with the esophagus by means of the cardiac orifice see figure 28, it is situated obliquely with reference to the body, its base lying at the left side, while the apex is directed toward the right side, the stomach is between the liver and spleen, subjacent to the diaphragm, and communicates with the intestinal canal by the pyloric orifice, it has three coats, the peritoneal, or external coat is composed of compact, cellular tissue, woven into a thin, serous membrane, and assists in keeping the stomach in place. The middle coat is formed of three layers of muscular fibers, in the first, the fibers run longitudinally, in the second, in a circular direction, and in the third, they are placed obliquely to the others. The interior, or mucous coat, lines this organ. The stomach has a soft, spongy appearance, and, when not distended, lies in folds, during life. It is ordinarily of a pinkish color. It is provided with numerous small glands, which secrete the gastric fluid necessary for the digestion of food. The lining membrane, when divested of mucus, has a wrinkled appearance. The arteries, veins, and lymphatics, of the stomach are numerous. Illustration, Figure 29. Small and large intestines. 1, 1, 2, 2. Small intestine. Its termination in the large intestine. Appendix vermiformis. Cocoon. Ascending colon. 
transverse colon, descending colon, sigmoid flexure of colon, 10, rectum. The intestines are those convoluted portions of the alimentary canal into which the food is received after being partially digested, and in which the separation and absorption of the nutritive materials and the removal of the residue take place. The coats of the intestines are analogous to those of the stomach, and are, in fact, only extensions of them. For convenience of description, the intestines may be divided into the small and the large. The small intestine is from 20 to 25 feet in length, and consists of the duodenum, jejunum, and ileum. The duodenum, so called because its length is equal to the breadth of 12 fingers, is the first division of the small intestine. If the mucous membrane of the duodenum be examined, it will be found thrown into numerous folds, which are called valvuli connivance the chief function of which appears to be to retard the course of the alimentary matter, and afford a larger surface for the accommodation of the absorbent vessels. Numerous villi, minute-thread-like projections, will be found scattered over the surface of these folds, set side by side, like the pile of velvet. Each villus contains a network of blood vessels, and a lacteal tube, into which the ducts from the liver and pancreas open, and pour their secretions to assist in the conversion of the chyme into chyle, the jejunum so named because it is usually found empty after death, is a continuation of the duodenum, and is that portion of the alimentary canal in which the absorption of nutritive matter is chiefly effected. The ileum, which signifies something rolled up, is the longest division of the small intestine, although somewhat thinner in texture than the jejunum, yet the difference is scarcely perceptible. The large intestine is about 5 feet in length, and is divided into the cocum, colon, and rectum. The cocum is about 3 inches in length. Between the large and the small intestine is a valve, which prevents the return of excrementitious matter that has passed into the large intestine. There is attached to the cocum an appendage about the size of a goose quill, and 3 inches in length, termed the appendix vermiformis. The colon is that part of the large intestine which extends from the cocum to the rectum, and which is divided into three parts, distinguished as the ascending, the transverse, and the descending. Illustration. Figure 31, a section of the ileum, turned inside out, so as to show the appearance and arrangement of the villi on an extended surface. The rectum is the terminus of the large intestine. The intestines are abundantly supplied with blood vessels. The arteries of the small intestine are from 15 to 20 in number. The large intestine is furnished with three arteries, called the colic arteries. The iliocolic artery sends branches to the lower part of the ileum, the head of the colon, and the appendix vermiformis. The right colic artery forms arches, from which branches are distributed to the ascending colon. The colic media separates into two branches, one of which is sent to the right portion of the transverse colon, the other to the left. In its course, the superior hemorrhoid artery divides into two branches, which enter the intestine from behind, and embrace it on all sides, almost to the anus. The thoracic duct is the principal trunk of the absorbent system and the canal through which much of the chyle and lymph is conveyed to the blood. It begins by a convergence and union of the lymphatics on the lumbar vertebrae, in front of the spinal column, then passes upward through the diaphragm to the lower part of the neck, then skirts forward and downward, opening into the subclavian vein near its junction with the left jugular vein, which leads to the heart. Illustration, Figure 32, CC, Right and Left Subclavian Veins, Inferior Vena Cava, Intestines, Entrance of the thoracic duct into the left subclavian vein. Mesenteric glands, through which the lacteals pass to the thoracic duct. The liver, 
which is the largest gland in the body, weighs about 4 pounds in the adult, and is located chiefly on the right side, immediately below the diaphragm. It is a single organ, of a dark red color, its upper surface being convex, while the lower is concave. It has two large lobes, the right being nearly four times as large as the left. The liver has two coats, the serous, which is a complete inverse, 